Welcome to part two of the CHROSA podcast brought to you by Oracle. We wrap up the conversation with our panel, Tim London, Ronnie Turin, and Annette van Aarde about the pros and cons of decentralized decision-making in a world of ongoing uncertainty. Nanette, following on Ronnie's point about HR's involvement depending significantly on the extent to which they are contributing to the business strategy, can you share some thoughts on what the situation is for human capital at Momentum Metropolitan? Also, can you share some thoughts on the extent to which the human capital function gives its line management autonomy to run its people how it best sees fit? Thanks. Um, I think Ronnie made a few good points. I think when we consider systems, especially in the decentralized model, the biggest challenge we have is you want to customize or allow some customization for that particular business area to work on um, and customize their system and make it feel like their own, which is important. However, you also alluded to the standardization. So I think that almost minimum principles that we all adhere to in terms of the system perspective is important. In terms of decision-making and executing our strategy, I do think it's a critical role, especially if you consider org design for the business. And Tim also alluded to there is no right design. So decentralized isn't wrong um, and centralized isn't right. So it doesn't play out that way, but it's really around how do you enable your business. And I think human capital has a key role to play to help business understand the nuances and find the right operating model and then operate within that operating model for the context and the strategy that the business is driving at that specific point. Um, systems does it play a big role in enablement in terms of data and understanding and where do we spend our time and our effort and how does our workforce show up. Um, especially if you are looking at remote work, I think systems is a big component of really understanding the analytics and insights that we could get from our people strategy um, and our people initiatives and to say where do we need to focus um, and how do we make our technology and our solutions available to line managers as well as our people and we need to shift a little bit to say we don't just build solutions or create solutions for line managers, but also for our people. So what is it that the employee interacts with and how do we get our employees to interact with both our systems as well as what they need to do in terms of output and strategy? Mm, thanks. Thanks, Nanette. I, I think another point, and I think Tim raised it earlier, is that it also depends on the DNA of the organization, which uh, some people can describe as the culture. Tim, can you explain why culture is so important to a conversation like this? So I, I think it's essential. And I think that the nice thing, the way this, this conversation has gone is, you know, this focus on people. So, um, you know, centralized or decentralized, those are sort of conceptual theories. Um, they can be management practices. But at the end of the day, your organization runs on its people. Um, so how those people, to, to what Ronnie was saying, how those people interact with technology, how they use that technology, um, what technology is used. Um, to, to Nanette's points about, you know, where do you give that freedom? Where do you, where do you maybe build in some more structures? All those things are dependent on your people. Um, so that that's what's, to me, one of the things, again, I used to teach with structure, culture, people. That's what makes up your organization. Structures are the rules, regulations, policies, procedures, um, the, the culture is what is it like to be there? Um, what's the vibe, uh, what's the environment like, and then the people, and, and you need all three of those to, to go back to our previous point in alignment, pulling in the same direction. 
But fundamentally, your organization sort of rises and falls with its people. If you hire good people, if you empower them, if you point them in the right direction, um, if your hiring process includes thinking about not just what skills do they have, but how are they going to fit in this team? And, and to be clear, that's not a we want everyone to be the same. It might be, hey, we've got a bunch of people with this expertise. We need someone with a different expertise in this team for the following reasons. Um, the more you put thought into your people, the more you communicate with them, um, the more you build them up, the the more powerful your organization is going to be, the more adaptable it will be to get back to, I think, um, you know, some of the questions to Nanette about how do you weather storms and how do you how do you build an agile workforce? Well, you build for those times. So you have to invest in your people, training, um, talking, uh, empowering. That's how that's how you're prepared for the hard times. When the hard times start is is a bad time to start trying to train people to be successful. You need to be building that that environment sort of all the time. And, and again, I think a lot of organizations really struggle with that. So they um, they hire for roles. Um, they have job descriptions um, that don't match their what they're really looking for. So if you look at any job advertisement on LinkedIn or wherever you, you know, that's the one that I often look at um, when I used to teach this was uh, you have a company description, which almost always talks about we're a forward thinking, innovative, uh, creative place to work. This is, you know, we're really passionate about that. And then they have a job description, which is all about what you'll do, um, broken down into little tasks, and then has a person specification that has a list of degrees you need to have, years of experience. You must have seven years of experience. I don't know why it's seven and not six or eight. Um, and, and little criteria like that, which which are totally disjointed. So again, if you're trying to build that agile workforce, um, you need to think about who do we really need and, and what's the profile of that particular person. And you know maybe that is someone with a master's degree, but Maybe not. You know, what does a master's degree bring to this? Um, are your most creative people the ones who have master's degrees? Um, it might be in your field, but in a lot of cases, that's a criteria we've built because a lot of people on the team have master's degrees. But so you, you need to think about those things very carefully. And and I think the challenge to go back to some of the points that Ronnie was making, and you know, when you ask him about HR coming to the party, I think that's a real uh, the emphasis is on HR to drive that to say, well, if this is what you want, if this is the kind of organization you want. We're hiring people badly. Um, or, and to be clear, we have a bad process. It doesn't mean you get bad people, but you have a process that's less likely to get the people that you want. So you need HR um, to have a really powerful voice in that to say, if this is the kind of organization you want, we need to do a different job for getting the right people in to do that. Um, and I think, like I said, smart organizations get good HR leadership and they listen to them and they got to do that. Thanks, Tim. Ronnie, a lot of what we're speaking about um, sounds or looks very good on paper, but the reality is that a lot of organizations still do not recognize HR as a strategic partner. So you're right. And, and, and I think Tim also you know, alluded to this, that, that HR actually needs to take control. And one of the ways that they can do it, and I'm going to talk purely from a systems perspective, is by having the right information. You know, we're living in a world today where you know, we talk about being in the information age and quite often when people talk to me about being in the information age, I say to them, guys, you're living in the past. We have gone past the information age already. It's about the knowledge age. How are we actually using the information? And I think this is really where HR is going to have the ability to start taking the authority where 
first and foremost, they need to be able to understand and articulate where the business is actually going to, and they need to have that understanding. On the basis of that, they then need to be able to say, if the organization is looking at uh, expanding into a new region, what is it that we from an HR need to do? Do we source uh, locally in the, the region that we're going into, or do we relocate people that have the expertise that we believe? What is the strategy that we, we have? And if we have the information to be able to make those decisions as to, you know, are we going to go through a recruiting process because of this, uh, this new um, area that we're opening into or an acquisition that we're actually getting? What is our HR strategy? And is that HR strategy actually aligned to the business strategy? And having the right tools in place gives us access to that information. We know what our skills are within our organization, what skills are being grown as a result of the career development that is being done in the organization. What learning are we pushing to our potential successors into, uh, you know, to pick up the, the, the skills that they may be lacking in order to be able to take up the position? And I think as soon as HR empowers itself with the knowledge that they can get out of the systems, they will then have the, the power to be able to go in and have that serious conversation and be seen not only as a liability in the organization or a, a necessary evil, but actually adding value to the organization going forward. And I honestly believe that the systems that we have today, I'm talking again specifically from an Oracle perspective, allow HR to actually do that. It empowers the HR but at the same time, it's giving HR the ability, using the tools again, to be able to empower line managers moving down the line to start making some of the decisions, obviously based within a, a global template, if you like, but it's giving that autonomy so the agility and the adaptability is available. And I think systems, although they are in a lot of times seen as a hindrance, they can be an enabler to business going forward. Nanette, a lot of organizations have struggled with the transition to working from home, especially because it became so suddenly necessary. What has the experience been at Momentum Metropolitan uh, with regard to your approach to decentralized decision making, given that people are now living at work, so to speak? Thanks so much. Um... I think in a decentralized model, we adapted different approaches, which was correct or right at the time for different businesses. Um, and then there wasn't necessarily one size fits all type of approach. Um, similar with almost a return to office, um, every business is thinking about it differently with some principles and guidelines that we all think about and agree to. And I think that has really enabled us to say, we need to solve for each business where they're at. Um, also, given that our workforce is completely different in different businesses and our focus areas, where we have some businesses that depend largely on face-to-face -face sales, where other businesses are more specialized in nature with specialized skills that can work easily from home. And I think those nuances is just important in the decision-making and how do you do that? So I think we've shifted quite successfully um, just in terms of that. Thank you very much, Nanette. I think we are approaching the end of the conversation, but before we close, uh, I'd like a parting shot from anyone really. What is the key takeaway for listeners based on the conversation we've just had um, when they go back into their organizations? What should they remember as the most important thing to keep in mind 
if they would like to make the transition to a decentralized decision-making model. If I can jump in there, I, I think the big thing just would almost be a reiteration of what other folks have said, though, but is if you want to go in that direction, you want to have a really clear statement of why you're going to, again, if you're going to go centralized or decentralized or some mixture, you'd want to have a really clear um, explanation for yourself and for your people about why you're going to do that. And I think essential to that then is a conversation, a really intense conversation about how are we going to make sure that that is successful. So if you're switching from decentralized to centralized, um, you know, that's going to have an impact on people who might have had more autonomy. Um, that would change in a centralized system. If you're an organization that's built on speed of decision making, that's going to change. Um, and you want to be really clear about what those trade-offs are and you want to make sure your people are really clear about what those trade-offs are and, and vice versa. If you're going from a from a very centralized system to a decentralized system, you'd want to be clear that you're going to give people more autonomy, more space. Well, that sounds great to some people and to some people that sounds like you're setting them up for failure because um, they're used to how a system works. And if you change the system, um, you know, if you take away all the rules and regulations, they're not as happy in, a, in sort of uh, the example I used to use was if some people are really good at swimming in lanes so you go to the pool and they can swim back and forth in their lanes and it's great. If you take those away, they may not be great in free swim where everyone's just sort of splashing around and there's a lot of water flying all over the place. So, again, you in doing either of those changes, and I think Nanette's experience at Momentum was really interesting to hear about. You want to be really clear with, you know, what's the change going to be? What are the implications of that? And then to speak to Ronnie's point, um, you know, how are we going to build the tools in the HR processes to make sure that we can be successful in that? But it doesn't just, it is a matter of flipping a switch. There's a lot of careful thought and planning that needs to go into it. Yes, that's a very important point, Tim. Um, you know, people don't like change. And uh, that makes me wonder, Nanette, how you manage the transition from a centralized to a decentralized approach, given human nature when it comes to change. How did you navigate that? So I think what happened with us and our change to decentralize is the decentralized model is actually closer to where the natural energy of the business was. So we moved to things that we are naturally good at and focus on. So the transition towards that operating model was easier than the transition to the centralized operating model, which I think then brought out some of the natural frustrations in the system around speed of execution and my ownership and what can I take decisions on and what can't I, and almost the disempowerment um, that was experienced in the centralized model. So I do think an important point, um, which Tim also alluded to, is to say that you have to be clear on your why. Um, be clear on what are you trying to solve and make sure that the operating model that you choose fits to that why um, and that you understand the consequences of your decisions and almost the trade-offs, your benefits and limitations to what you need to go to and through. Interesting indeed. Ronnie, can you give us a parting shot before we close? So, so I think, you know, the thing we've been talking about, should we be centralized or decentralized from both an HR um, function perspective as well as from a systems perspective? Uh, and, and I think Tim uh, mentioned a little bit earlier, there's no right or wrong answer to this. It's going to depend on a number of different factors. What I'm seeing is um, people moving to almost a hybrid where Certain things um, around, you know, basic administration uh, and systems are being done at a centralized level, um, but you having a decentralized level in terms of 
you know, some of the functions around uh, performance management, around uh, grievances and disciplinaries and things like that, uh, learning and development, for example, might, might be moving into a more decentralized approach. And I think that's what we're going to be seeing in, in organizations going forward is a combination. And I think the hybrid is probably closer to the truth for most organizations than any one or the other. All right. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the CHRO South Africa podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Ronnie, Tim, and Ninette for making yourselves available. I believe it was a very insightful conversation that um, our listeners will take a lot from. So I hope you enjoyed it and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for part two of the CHROSA podcast, brought to you by Oracle. Oracle is a multinational technology company that offers a comprehensive and fully integrated stack of cloud applications and platform services.